if you really want to get good at sales, you have to get good at asking good questions. And the thing is, there's all sorts of them. So how do you sort them? How do you put information to them? And what questions do you ask? Every single message you deliver is really a sales call. Either you are selling or being sold. Salespeople love to brag about their skills. And the truth is, your success in closing sales depends on your skills, your abilities, and finding the right training. And the great news is, you have come to the right place here at The How to Sell Show with your hosts, Dale Bell and Scott Silvenbell. And be sure to join the party at howtosell.live and download your copy of The 10 Common Mistakes Salespeople Make. Aloha from Sacramento, California today. Today's a fantastic day. I'm coming to you live from the How to Sell Show studios on episode number 187. (laughs) Today's topic, 50 killer questions for the sales process. And so here's the thing. You do have to get used to nervous energy, silence, and even pressure. And all three of these things occur when you ask questions. And I am going to give you a list of at least, at least 50 questions. And I have this belief, whoever can ask the best questions wins. But there's some things that you have to do to make these questions work. Just because you can ask a great question doesn't mean you're going to close the deal. But when you're armed with a whole list of questions that you can go to, it makes life easier. What you need to be aware of is sometimes when you meet with buyers and sometimes when you meet with potential clients, you can ask them a question and just because you ask it doesn't mean that they're going to answer. So I'm going to give you some ideas, some frameworks, some strategies, some things that you could do to get better for this list of at least 50 questions, at least. I've lined it out. I'm over 50 at this point, so I can tell you, you got more than 50. You should buy books on questions. You really should. There's, I don't know, five or 10 of them out there that are pretty good. Just go to Amazon and find books on questions. And uh, in in the same genre, you really want to get good on interviewing because as you meet with people and as you go through the process, how you interview people really does matter. How you interact with people really does matter. So books on questions, books on interviewing, these things are items outside the scope that most people typically talk about when it comes to sales training. Like they'll talk to you, they're going to ask good questions, but they won't tell you where to find them. They won't tell you how to deal with them. They won't tell you what you got to do with them. So when I, when I started studying persuasion, you know, I started working with Dr. Kevin Hogan in like 2005, 2006, and he said something that really stuck to me uh, over these past years is the two most powerful forms of questions, two most powerful forms of communication are questions and stories. Questions because if you ask a question, somebody doesn't have to answer it, but they do have to think about it if you give them enough time. So I could ask you a question, what are your plans for today? And then just keep talking and saying, hey, you know, here's my podcast. Or I could say, what are your plans for today? And as long as you're in the conversation, you're probably going to answer that question. And you may not say it out loud, but you may say it inside of your head. And then stories, stories are a good way to bypass a critical factor inside of the brain and and get people thinking about conversations. So you can tell a story and then ask questions. You could ask questions and then tell a story. And there are different pecking orders of questions that you can ask. There's different ways to ask questions. 
And when done wrong, it feels like an interrogation. And you do have to be careful with this because the second that it feels like an interrogation, it's going to make it tough, tougher uh, to close the sale. It doesn't mean that you can't. It just means that there's a point where people start becoming annoyed. Okay. And so I have this thing called a walk and talk that like sometimes when people don't want to be in a presentation, I'll give them a presentation while I'm walking and talking. I'll give them a presentation as we're doing something different. A walking talk doesn't mean that I have to be walking or, or, or moving away from the product. It could be that we just kind of abruptly change the subject and then come back to it. So with this being said, how and what questions are typically better than why? Why questions can annoy people. Like when somebody comes at me and peppers me with a whole bunch of why questions, I'm like, I don't want to do this. I feel like I'm, I'm being interviewed by a fourth grader. So how and what questions are, are good ways to frame it? And it doesn't mean that you can't ask why questions. It means you have to be careful. You know, you could ask an if question. Like just think about if you go and study a bunch of questions and you take a look at how they're written, there's only so many ways it could be moved around. There's only so many different ways that you can ask those questions. But I will tell you this. There's a saying in sales that the fortune is in the follow-up. And I would agree, but like this is a phrase that could be used in two different instances. The fortune is in the follow-up after a question to get clarification, to lock in information, just as much the fortune as, as the fortune is in the follow-up after a sales call. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some frameworks, I'm gonna give you some ideas, some things that you can do to be better at asking questions. And what you can do is you can go to this thing called Google or DuckDuckGo, or Mozilla, whatever search engine you want to use, okay, Apple, whatever you got. And here's what you do, is you go, you go and you look up the best questions in sales. And you're going to get thousands of results. And then you open up a document, and you start cutting and pasting. And what you're going to end up with is a whole bunch of questions, and then they're going to be in different fonts and they're going to be in different characters. And if that drives you nuts, like it drives me nuts, then you make sure that everything is in Times New Roman 12 because that's my favorite. And then you start sorting and you start looking like, what are the correlations? What kind of different questions can I come up with? And I did this. I want to say I did this like 10 years ago. And I have this list and I, I still keep adding to it. And there's times where I look at the question and I'm like, mm, I don't like the way that question's written. I'm going to rewrite it. Well, from being able to go through and rewrite a whole bunch of questions and looking at them and then sorting them, it gave me a really good framework. It gave me a really good system for asking people questions, which helped me become way better at interviewing. So here's what's going to happen. You're going to come up with a list of questions and some of them are going to be softballs. They're going to be yes or no questions. They're going to be easy to answer. And then here's what's going to happen. You're going to find some questions. You're like, oh my goodness, I don't think I would ever ask that question. That question makes me uncomfortable. You want to highlight those. And the reason is, if they're making you uncomfortable, you're getting triggered for some reason. And you got to figure out what that reason is. Why? Why is it that you don't like that question? Why is it that that question doesn't work for you? Is it because it's silly? Is it because it's goofy? Is it because it's past your boundaries? Is it past your comfort zone? So when you're new to sales, all questions are uncomfortable. They are. It's just the way that it is because it's a new process. But after a while, you get used to it. Now, when I started in sales, I worked at an insurance agency with this guy named Joel. And Joel was a baller. 
So in 2000, 2001, you know, Joel knew more people in Sacramento that made over $400,000 a year than anybody I had ever met in my life up until that point. And so Joel would sell variable life insurances or whole life insurances or um, policies that were expensive at the time to me. Okay. So like, you know, we're talking 2000, 20 years ago, 20, at least 20 years ago. And so Joel had this question and I wrote along with him on a, on an appointment of mine that I had set up for somebody who had some high net worth and Joel sitting at the table and I'm sitting at the table and Joel says, okay, so what kind of budget you have set aside for this project? And the guy says, well, I don't. And he goes, well, we're going to have to figure that out. And Joel was just like this straight up, I'm going to say what I'm thinking type of dude. And, uh, the guy goes, okay. And so he goes, well, I'm going to start with a, a monthly amount. And then you start telling me when it hurts. So he says 400 bucks a month. And he's, he's looking at the, the guy who possibly is buying the insurance. And he goes, 450, 500, 550. And it made me way uncomfortable because I was never, I wasn't used to being around people asking these types of questions. I wasn't used to the budget. And I kind of giggled because, you know, it, it was uncomfortable for me and it was nervous energy. So we ended up not closing the deal. And Joel pulled me aside afterwards and he was like, listen, you can't have nervous energy around money. You can't have problems around it. He goes, that guy probably would have spent $1,000 a month. And he says, I'm not going to say that was the only thing that, that stopped the deal from happening, but it is one of the things that, that caused some confusion. And so I think about that every time that I go into a sales process. I think about that every time that I, I work with people. I'm like, okay, what is my nervous energy doing? And you can have that problem when it comes to money. You can have that problem when it comes to tough questions. The key for you is to realize that it's normal. It happens. But I look back on that that budget question that Joel asked, and it was masterful. You know, how much money you have set aside? I don't. Okay, well, I'm going to give you a number, and you can start telling me when it's going to hurt. And so you know, he started at 400 bucks a month because he told the guy, he's like, look, for your income, if we started anything less than 400 it's not going to do anything for you. So how's 400 How's 450 How's 500 How's 550 How's 600 so realize that you you can ask questions because most people don't know your sales process. They don't know what you're going to ask and what you're going to do. Now, there are questions that are out of bounds, you know, and you're going to know that for your industry. But you have to get really good at figuring out what those questions are. So what you can do is uh, you can use some old school sales strategies to make questions work better for you. And I'm going to give you an idea. Three by five index cards. And you're like, Scott, three by five index cards are for objections. I'm like, yes, and <laughs> they're also for role play, silly. So here's what you do is you take the questions that you like and you write them on a three by five index card and uh, you shuffle the deck up and you sit down with somebody in your role play and you start asking all of your questions and some of them are going to be out of order, but that's done to help you be uncomfortable. That's done to help you get rid of that fent, that feel and that sense of panic. And so like, I probably have. I probably have 20 packs of three by five cards around my house. You know, I, there's no way in the world I'm going to go through all of them, but there's so many times that I, I want to do some role play or I'm working with somebody. I just start with a brand new pack of three by five index cards. So I've made a list of at least, at least 50 questions to fit every type of personality, most parts of the sales process. And for the most part, this is going to be an order of the way that you uh, present and how you start your presentation really does matter. 
So I'm going to start with lock-in questions. Lock-in questions for you to ask a buyer to see where they're at with the process, to see where they're at with the project. And so um, there's a lot of different variations of this. And I'm going to give you a couple of them. And you can choose the one that's most comfortable for you. Why did you decide to reach out? Why did you decide to reach out? Decision shows that they made a decision to reach out, that they're in decision mode. That's why that question is asked that way. What finally led you to take action with your problem or issue? Just the same type of question, but it's a different variation. What finally led you? Like that's the final straw. What was the final thing that got you to go ahead and take some action on this? When you think about starting this conversation, what got the ball rolling? Right? Then they're going to come back and they're going to tell you about their pains and their problems. You you need a list of things to close a deal. You need a pain, a problem, a risk, or a pleasure. Like at, at like if you can draw out uh four different lanes, four different swim lanes: pain, problem, risk, pleasure. Pain, problem, risk, pleasure. So when people are talking to me and they're answering questions, I'm thinking, okay, so is that a pain? Is it a problem? Is it a risk? Or is it a pleasure? What What is the reason why they're giving me this information? And I'm trying to find out their commitment because like sometimes you meet with people and they're just like, I'm just kind of kicking tires and looking around. That doesn't mean they're not going to buy. It just means you might have to use a different strategy to get them engaged. You might just have to ask better questions. So then there's probing or outcome questions. And I made a whole bunch of these. I went overboard for a reason. Because when I write and work with salespeople, I find that they don't ask enough probing questions. They don't figure out what the pain, the problem, the risk, or the the pleasure is that the person is looking for. So some of these may be redundant, and some of them may seem like they're going overboard. But, you know, pick the ones that work for you. Pick the ones that are uncomfortable. Pick the ones that you think are going to get you the best opportunity to close the deal. Can you share with me what led to this conversation? Kind of goes with the ones in the beginning of the commitment, but a little bit different. Could you share with me what led to this conversation? Like, I am I want a story. I want that person to come out and I want them to give me examples. And so I might bust in and ask them with follow-up questions, okay? What got you started with this process? And like some of these kind of feel like rapport questions because they kind of are. So what got you started with this process? Oh, you know, the machine broke. Oh, well, do you do regular maintenance on the machine? No, we don't. We know we should. Uh, we lost a vendor. We we had this guy, Jim, and he just he doesn't show up anymore. And so that's why we started this process. Well, you just got a whole bunch of information revealed that at one point that they had some sort of preventative maintenance plan and uh, their guy hasn't showed up. And these are all pain points. They don't have a one point of contact. So like you're you're gathering intel and you're reading between the lines. What have you tried so far that's worked? And sometimes people will say, I, I haven't tried anything. Okay. I haven't tried anything. Oh, okay. So you're just getting beginning on this. Yep, I am. All right. Well, can you share with me what you've tried that hasn't worked? Oh, yeah. We've tried all sorts of stuff. We, we've had nothing but a nightmare. You know, we, we have people that show up and make promises that they can't keep. All right. Well, now I've got some information that somebody's made some promises and they're looking for something that's going to do some risk reversal for them. I've got opportunities there. What do you like about your product or service right now? Well, you know, we've got we've got really good terms. Okay, is our terms important to you? Yeah, because we have a, a business cycle that that works, and you know, we're on a ninety day net, and so you know, terms are really important to us. Oh, okay. Why now? Why today? 
why and how, why today? And this seems like an abrupt question, but you know, when somebody answers it, they can tell you what the problem is and what, what they're dealing with. So, you know, tell me why now, why today? What led to this? Well, you know, we've had a staffing issue and, and we're looking to get it taken care of. And, you know, uh, two of our people are going out on maternity leave and we've got four months. Okay. Now I know I've got a timetable. I got things I got to work with. What are your short-term and long-term goals with this product or service? Well, we haven't really quite thought about that. Okay. Well, why not? Well, we're just in the beginning stages. Okay. Okay. I can, I can help you out with that. You know, uh, in the world of copywriting, they say to only sell to one, sell to one. And so this is a question that I like to ask when I'm dealing with sales to see what the biggest problem is in their head. Okay. So if there was only one problem I could solve for you, what would that one thing be right now? And there is a magic wand variant where people say, if I can wave a magic wand, what problems would you want me to solve for you? And the thing is, is when you ask a question like that, there's so many different answers they can give you. You got to get them to one. And then you could ask for more. You can say, okay, what else? Okay, what else? Okay, what else? You can you can get people to repeat information for you. You just have to program them the right way. What are the must-have features for this project? And what are the ones that really don't matter? You can use that as a, a one question, or you could use that as a follow-up. You know, what are the must-have features for this project? Okay, now that you've given me three or four, what are the ones that really don't matter? What criteria will you use to determine your vendor, your product, or your service? And like sometimes people will come out and they're like, we're solely shopping on price. I'm like, peace out, Girl Scout. I can't help you. Like I, I have ended conversations with people telling me I'm only shopping on price. There's nothing I could do for you. There's always somebody cheaper. If that's the route that you're going to go, fine. Now, you may be in an industry where you don't get to do that. You may be a point in your life where you don't get to do that. But I'm in a little different, different perspective and a little bit different place. What's important to you about the company you choose? could be what's important about the product that you choose. What's important about the service that you choose? What's your ideal outcome that you're looking for? And if they can't answer this, there's a huge problem. This should be a red flag. If they can't give you a definition of what their ideal outcome is, they don't have enough research done and you're going to have to slow down the process. You're going to have to figure out why don't they know their ideal outcome. Are they sandbagging and they just don't want to tell you what's going on? Or do they really not know? You're going to have to, to take some arrows and figure this out. I get that this is a project that we're meeting on, but how important is it? Is this project to you? What's the priority level? Or how much of a priority is this for you? You want to figure out, hey, is this something that they really want to do? Is this something that they really want to get involved with? The last time you made a decision like this, how was it made? Will you be using that same process on this project? You know, the worst thing is, is to meet with people, to give presentations that can't give you an answer, and uh, you have no ability to influence the sale. And there are a lot of industries like this. I, I remember about two years ago, I had somebody reach out to me and say, hey, Scott, I want you to come train my team. And I, I asked him flat out, are, are you the decision maker? And the person said, yes. I said, okay, so, you know, at the end of the day, you could cut me a check for 30 grand. You could wire me a $30,000, you, know, you know, money to the bank. You could give me a $30,000 credit card go through the process after I was told yes, only to find out, no, that person couldn't. They were gathering intel. And so they told me, hey, Scott, you know, can't make a decision on this. I got to pass this up to the chain. And I said, hey, just count me out then. I'm not interested. 
And the guy said, why? And I said, because we started this conversation on false pretenses. I asked you if you were the guy. You said, yes, you told me, you confirmed it. You know, uh, I three plus it, meaning I asked it three different ways over, you know, period of the, the, the conversation. And now something's changed. I'm confused. I'm out. And he says, but we really want to retain services. And I said, yeah, but I'm not starting a conversation this way. Like, no, not doing it. So I walked. So, you know, uh, depending upon where you're at and what you do, you may have different stories. You can do future-based questions. Now, there is a point in the mind of the buyer that if they can't, if they can't see themselves doing business with you, they're going to react differently than somebody who can. So with future-based questions, future-based questions, the cool thing is, is you can kind of get a feel for what, where people are. So I'm going to give you a different version or a different example of this. I'm going to give you statements that will reveal something versus a question. So in a sales process, when you're talking to your buyer and you say something like, hey, when we do this, they're going to come back and they go, we're not going to do this. And then like through the sales process, you keep saying, when we do this, when we do this, when we do this, when we do this, the person keeps coming back and saying, we're not doing this. And then there's a magical point between seven and 10 times where they come back and they say, okay, when we do this, okay. This is the same type of a thing, a future-based question you can't really put in the beginning of a presentation because the person doesn't exactly know what they're going to do. They may not have seen a, a part of what they need to know. And so this may be moved into the end of the presentation. This may be moved to the middle of the presentation, but I wouldn't ask these questions from the very beginning. So if we were to meet here a year from now, what would help you say you made a good decision? Now, if the person can't project themselves out a year from now, there's a problem with the presentation. If the person can't project themselves out into the future with you, there's a problem somewhere. And they may come out and say, I don't know. And here's the thing, they may not even realize what they tell you. So be careful with these. Because like when you repeat them back, then they know that they got caught by telling you what they weren't supposed to. So when you use future-based questions, like if we were to meet here a year from today, what would help you say you made a good decision? They may come back and go, I won't use you. I've already got somebody else that I want to do business with. And like, I've had people tell me that and not realize that they told me it because I was able to put that question in and put them into the future. And their brain went, nope, I'm not going into the future with you. There's no way that we're doing business together. I already got another vendor. I'm just using you for price comparison. Oh, good to know. And then, so like, I just pretend for a few more minutes that, you know, that, they didn't say anything to me because they don't like not all the time where they realize that they, what they just told you. So you can start asking a little bit more aggressive questions to kind of figure out why they've already made the decision, but like you save those for a little bit later. If you look into the future a year from now, what's your biggest opportunity with us, with our product or our service? Once again, future question, what excites you most about working with us as we look towards the future? When we do this work for you, what concerns do you have for implementation? So like, I'm assuming the sale at this point because it's a future-based question. Once again, they can come back and go, well, I'm not planning on doing business with you. If we were to take care of this project for you, what milestones would need to be met for you to find this project a success? Okay, now they're going to start talking about the future. They're going to start talking to you about what needs to be done. When you take a look at your options, what are the expectations you have for this project or this service? And what would make you happy with the results? As you get people to engage and you get them to start talk about the future, it, there's a different feel to the conversation. There's a different feel to the pitch and the tone. Next up, we got reversals. And these can be used for a stall or for qualification questions. Uh, I studied Sandler's sales 
I went through their presidential course. There's some really cool stuff in there that I like. There's some stuff in there that I was like, yeah. But one of the coolest things that I picked up was reversing. And so reversing is a way to ask a question for clarification or to kind of like point out to somebody that they're being silly. So like people ask me questions like, hey, how much is this going to cost? And the question is just too far up into the front, into the future. I'm like, hey, I'm curious why you asked that right now. Well, I may not have the budget. Well, you know, we might want to talk about why you don't have the budget. So every time that I look at somebody gives me an objection, I, I use the Aikido School of Business and I kind of figure out how can I use that objection against them? There's a trap door built in every objection that somebody gives you. There truly is. You just have to kind of think through what it is. So in the example that somebody says, well, we don't have the money, might come back and go, is that because your your training isn't being done right? Is that because you don't have the, the right processes in place? That's because you don't have the right markers in place. And they come back and say, yes. Sounds like, sounds like you need help with more than just sales training at this point. It sounds like you need help with something else. Yeah, that's probably true. So by asking a reversing question, it can get you to gather more intel. I'm going to give you one that, that people, when they hear it, they're like, I don't know if I'd use that or not. So this may make people uncomfortable, but it's a really good question. And it, it's rooted in science. So there was an experiment done in 1978 where a lady went to cut in front of the line at a college and said, hey, I'd like to just you know cut in front of the line so I can make some copies. And then she slid in the word because. Now, if you could use something in forward, you could also use it in reverse. So let's say somebody gives you a wacky answer. You can literally look at them and go and tilt your head forward and say, because. And then they may give you an answer, but you have to ask the question. And, and it really helps to tilt your head forward and raise your eyebrows and just look at them and go, because. So there's times where people will say, hey, Scott, I need a discount. I'll go, because? Laughing and giggling because I want it to sound ridiculous, Okay. So somebody will ask you a question. You can come back and on the reversal say, hey, can you share with me why that's important to you? Can you share with me why that's important to you? You know, because you want to gain insight. You want to gain understanding. Um, the other one is, I'm not quite sure this is what you need. Is this what you've been looking for? Like, it's more of a coy game to play to figure out what's going on with the buyer. Like, let's say you're 75% through with your presentation. You're trying to get a feel for where the person's at. You're like, hey, look, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not quite sure this is what you need. Is this what you've been looking for? And they may come back and say yes, or they come back and say no. You know, we've already got a vendor. Follow-up questions. Can you explain that to me another way? There's times where people give me vague answers, and I know they're giving me vague answers, and they know that they're giving me vague answers. And I'm like, all right, I'll take the bait. Can you explain that to me another way? And then they have to figure out another way to say it. It could be a verification. I heard you say that price is important. Can you expand upon that a little bit more for me? I heard you say that warranty is uh, important. Can you expand upon that a little bit more for me? I heard you say that terms are important. Can you expand upon that a little bit more for me? Uh, another version is, I'm a little confused by the answer you share with me. What do you mean by that? Another example, how's that supposed to work out? Like sometimes when people just give you the most knucklehead answers, you just got to throw it right back at them. How's it supposed to work out? Money and budget. I move this kind of back for a reason because most salespeople go for money and budget a little bit too quick into the presentation. There's not enough rapport built. There's not enough tension built. There's not enough back and forth. Okay. So I put them back further into this question process than moving it forward. What kind of money do you have set aside for this project? 
Like that's straight out answer, straight out question. I'm sorry, straight out question. When we look at the budget for this, where you think it was going to be $10,000 or more. Like uh, I like to use a huge number. Hey, like when you were thinking about a project like this, were you thinking like $100,000 or more? I kind of want it to be like, no. And one of the things that you realize, if you listen to uh, enough Chris Voss, or you've asked enough questions, one of the things that he points out is people have this process where they want to correct you. And so if you ask with like a really big question along the lines, when we look at a budget for this project where you think it was going to be $100,000 or more, they may come back and go, no, are you freaking kidding me? We thought it was going to be 30, right? You just It's just a way to get information out of people. It was confirmed to me to do this through, um, through Chris Voss on one of his interviews he did on his YouTube channel. But I was just kind of laughing and giggling because this is something that I've been doing for a long time. In round numbers, what are we looking for with a budget? In round numbers, what are we looking for with a budget? Tell me when it hurts. <laughs> what number do you want to keep this under per month? That's the one that I learned from Joel. I will share with you that uh, there is a statement that I add when I talk about a budget. So I'll say, hey, what kind of budget are we working for with looking at with this project? And by the way, if we can't get to a budget, there's no reason to continue on with the conversation. Like I will tell people, like, look, if we can't get to a budget at some point, then we're going to disengage. We're just not going to move forward. Because I want people to realize, hey, look, if I'm willing to ask you a question, I'm willing to train people to ask these questions too. Timeline. Timeline questions. You're looking for what they're going to do, how they're going to do it, and when they're going to do it. What's your timeline for implementation? Just a straight out, what's your timeline? How do, how do you, how do you, what are, what are you going to do in the implementation here? When you look at your timetable, what markers do you have in place right now for this project? What kind of deadline are we working with? You know, and if people don't have one, I start pushing back. Like, okay, you don't have a deadline for this project. I mean, we're just in the beginning stages. Is, is this, where are we at? Where are we going? Well, we, we don't quite know yet. That, that could be a sign that you're not even dealing with a decision maker. That could be a sign that there's something more wrong than what's going in. And you got to dig in further. Why don't they have a timeline? What, what got this ball rolling? Who's in the decision-making process? Which brings me to the next questions. Other decision makers. Who else needs to be involved in this process? Very straight out, common question you get asked in, in sales a lot. Okay. Could you authorize a purchase like this? I gave you this example. Could you authorize a purchase like this? Like, let's say for $30,000. Yes. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to confirm it a couple of times. I'm going to three plus it as Jim Camp refers to it as. Okay. So just to confirm this uh, $30,000 budget is what we're working with. Yes. Okay. And then it might be a couple minutes later. All right. So as we're taking a look at this project uh, and all the decision makers involved, you can make the $30,000 decision. Yes. Okay. But there's going to be a point where people don't always tell you the truth. If we could do this right now and take care of this project, who would need to sign off on it? Like if we could do this right now, and let's say it was $30,000 and we could take care of this project, who else would need to sign off on it? Nope. Nope. I've got, I've got all capability to do it. Okay. Closing questions. There are so many different closing questions and it's going to vary upon your personality and your sales style. You like Coke, I like Pepsi. You like Dr. Pepper, I like Sprite. Like there is no right way to get to this except for the one that works for you, okay? So with that being said, one of them is what do you think we should do? Another version of that is what comes next. An aggressive version of this for some people is are we going to do business together or not? 
there's sometimes where people are like, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of doing this. I'm kind of doing this. I learned this one from Joel, the insurance guy. So shout out to Joel. We're going to do business together or not. I mean, I was in his office one day and he was working on this huge policy. Huge. I mean, he was bragging about it in the office and this guy just didn't care. He was willing to walk from a deal. It's one of the coolest things that I learned from him besides his tough questions. So he's got the guy on speakerphone. He's eating a bagel. (laughs) He's chewing with his mouth open and he just didn't care. And it was a huge policy. And, and, you know, he's got in between bites and he's like, <laughs> he's chewing into the phone on the speaker phone. You can hear it. I could hear it throughout his whole office. And he was like, Hey, are we going to do business together or not? <laughs> it was so funny because, you know, in my mind, 20 years ago, it was super uncomfortable for me. But at the same time, he's just like, look, at the end of the day, we got to get this business done. You can go with somebody else. You can go with me, but are we going to get this business done or not? And he's chewing on this bagel with locks all over it and cream cheese. And it's just, sorry, it takes me back. It's pretty funny. It's a good, good memory for me. Which one of these fits your needs the best? So like which one questions is an alternative choice double bind is the technical name for it. You know, kind of like, do you want option A or do you want option B? You're going to pay cash. You're going to pay with credit card. You know, did you want to use financing? You know, it's an either or because you're getting people to come down to the crossroads, which is another one, too. You're at a crossroads. You've got two options. You can go with what you've had before in the past or you can go with what the future is. Do you want to go with me into the future? That is the crossroad closing question. Okay, when would you like delivery? That's another version of just like what can we do to get this to go forward? All right. On this list is referral questions. Like you should be asking for referrals. Who do you know that would like to get involved with this? Just a straightforward question. Who do you know that would like to get involved? Who's the first person you think of when it comes to the same type of problems and issues that you have? You want to narrow it down to one, okay? Because it's easier to get one referrals than none referrals. None referrals is too big of a question. Who are all the people that you know? I know a lot of people, okay? Narrow it down. Who's the first person you think of? So uh, who, who is the first? It's a good way to frame a question. I got some cutting through the clutter questions and I'm going to share with you pitch and tone matter on this. The way, the way that you say it is going to matter. So you, if you're going to go down this path and you're like, Hey Scott, thanks for episode number 187, 50 killer questions, at least of, of questions to ask in a deal. Um, these three that I have lined out right here, they're, they're just a few of them, but if you're going to ask them, you need to practice them. You, the, you don't do it the first time on a sales call. That's silly. Don't practice on your buyer. Practice with somebody else. Pay somebody to practice with you a couple bucks an hour so that you're not practicing on your buyer, okay? I get the feeling something else is going on here. Can you fill in the gaps for me? So like there's been meetings that I've been at where they were never planning on having me do the work. There's been meetings that I've met with people and they have no plans of moving forward with me, okay? I know it, they know it. I'm gonna call it out. So I'm getting the feeling something else is going on here. Can you fill in the gaps for me? Another version. Uh, At this point, all my cards are on the table and I feel like you're holding on to a few of your own. Care to jump in here? Kind of like, hey, stop playing games with me. Get this done. We got stuff to do. Um, If I shared with you that I don't think you're really into me or this project, would you agree with that statement? I've had people go, that's a ballsy question, but yes. Like, all right, thanks for having me out. Thanks for the phone call. Thanks for the Zoom meeting. At some point, you're going to get where you you have to ask the questions. I made a promise to myself in 2008 
that I would never leave a sales appointment without asking the questions that I was thinking because I didn't ever want to walk away from a call with having regret. I should have said this or I should have said that. If I'm going to lose the deal, I'm going to lose the deal. If I'm going to win the deal, I'm going to win the deal. But I don't, I, I just have this belief. I'm not ever going to walk away from a sales presentation without asking the questions that I want to. You initiated the conversation. You said that you wanted to talk to me. We're going to have a conversation. I'm going to ask the questions. And if it pisses you off, I'm, I'm okay with that. So just know you and I ever do business in the future, I'm going to ask questions. And they may not be the one that you want to hear. But you know what? The thing is, I don't get caught up when I walk away from a deal that I made or I didn't made saying, I wish I would have said this or I wish I would have said that. I can't. The only thing I can do is say, hey, in the future, I'm going to be better at my next call. Bonus. I wanted to do a bonus section. I thought this would be pretty cool for you. I'm a little bit over on my normal time for giving a presentation or a podcast or a conversation with you. And we got upsells. And upsells is a way for you to make some money, some moolah, some cash. (laughs) There's so many different ways to say this. That uh, you shouldn't stop after the initial sell. The resistance is gone. The resistance is over. So you should be asking for more. Uh, There is a really cool book on this about clothing. Uh, Don't Stop It No, I think that it is. I can't remember the title of it off the top of my head. I can see where it's at in my library. I know which bookcase it's in, but I can't remember the name of it for the life of me at this point. But uh, you shouldn't stop selling just because like the major product is done. You've done all the heavy lifting. You've gotten all the resistance out of the way. And, you know, please understand that if you're going to sell something, sell something that's going to help the person. Don't just sell for the sake of selling. Now that I've got that out of the way. Now that you have the best of insurance, would you like to add this writer? And a writer is just part of the policy. Now that you have the best of electronics, would you like to add the insurance? So when I bought, I've got a Rodecaster Pro. So when I got the Rodecaster Pro, they came back and said, hey, do you want to buy the insurance and get it protected for an extra year? Like, you know, there's going to be people people who say no. There's going to be people who say yes. Can I share something with you that will help you out even more? And they're going to say yes or they're going to say no. The extended warranty is only a few dollars more. Which version works best for you? So like that saying of a few dollars more was tested. I want to say it was by Jay Lynn or that was tested by um, Dr. Eric Knowles. Maybe one of those two people. Uh, Jay Lynn is out of Singapore. Dr. Eric Knowles was a professor at University of Arkansas. But the the, the phrase for just a few dollars more was tested with... Um, with a lot of variants and they found out that it came out to help a lot of deals to be closed for just a few dollars more for a few, just a few dollars more. You can, you can get this tested. Now, the thing for you at the end of the day is the, the quality of your questions is going to determine the quality of your income. And there's going to be a point where you look at some of the questions that I went over with you and you're like, Hey Scott, I'm uncomfortable. I don't know if I'd say those today. Good. Use them in the future. Work them to a point. Role play with them. Get get used to saying them. Get used to talking them. You know, I when I work with salespeople and they say, hey, Scott, I got price reluctancy. They don't come out and say it that way. They're like, hey, I'm struggling with selling on price. Price reluctancy is that you are caught up in the price and you're thinking that making decisions for the buyer. So let's say you sell a $10,000 product. Well, I say, you know, role play at 100 times the cost. Just role play at getting used to, instead of saying $10,000, start saying a million. Just start putting these questions in role play. Just start getting used to them. Just get your vocal pitch and tone down. Get your timing down. So in most questions, when you watch somebody else role play, start like when they ask a question and there's an answer. 
So when the salesperson that you're watching asks a question, so what kind of budget you have set aside for this project? Start counting it in your head, 2001, 2002, 2003. So I will share with you, I've done this a lot. I'm going to give you the shortcut. It's about 2003 to 2005 is when people start answering questions. If it's an uncomfortable question, it's going to be like a 2007 to 2010 count. You know, who else needs to be involved in this decision-making process? 2001, 2002, 2003. No, I'm the only person. And the reason I bring this up is there is timing to asking questions. There's timing to asking follow-ups. You know, you can watch shows on interviews. Larry Larry King is a good interviewer. Like you want people who do serious interviews and they don't do softballs. So um, politics isn't a good example because like the, the, the people become aggressive on either side. So politics isn't a good example. Look for celebrities being interviewed. Um, Oprah's got some really good ones, but she's not the greatest at it all the time. Uh, if you're looking for some humor, Ellen DeGeneres had some really good interviews that she was able to milk timing for a crowd. But look for other places where you can gather intel and and know that asking questions and coming up with killer questions, whatever version they may be for you, whatever's in your comfort zone or outside of your comfort zone, is one way for you to increase your sales skills that most people don't think of. Most people just want to role play, hey, let me give you the price. But what they don't role play is the discovery phase. They don't role play getting to the answer and, and peeling back the layers of the onion. Thanks for checking out this episode of the How to Sell Show. You can join the party at howtosell.live to get the show notes, links, updates on new episodes, recordings of previous episodes, articles, as well as videos. You may not know this sales secret, but sharing this episode with a friend will bring you good luck. See you soon. Mahalo.